I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need, and get 10% off with the code all caps FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10, to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? Here's Doc Askins bringing you another one of these Q5 podcasts that I love doing, where I ask five questions that I like to use in my ketamine-assisted therapy practice. But without the use of any ketamine assistance, I just throw these questions at some really cool people who are out there doing good work in the world. Today on the podcast, I've got Floris Volsweik, who is the founder of Blossom. Blossom serves as an informational hub for psychedelic insights, from cutting-edge research to the companies implementing psychedelic-assisted therapy. Floris has also co-founded Flow Coaching with his partner Lata. They provide psychedelic-assisted coaching with a focus on adequate preparation and integration. Flora studied psychology at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam and graduated with a master's degree in 2014. Through his decade of personal experiences with psychedelics and subsequent engagement with scientific literature, he fell in love with the psychedelics field. He's helping make psychedelics more widely available and hopes they can be widely used both as therapeutics and for self-development. Flores is also a local leader in the effective altruism movement, where he encourages people to do the most good they can. He donates 10% of his income to effective charities like Strong Minds, which help people battle depression and anxiety. Floris, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, my friend. Yeah, Doc, thank you so much for having me. Well, let's get everything rocking and rolling with question number one. What's your story? Well, I think you already did a splendid job of introducing me, So, but I'll go over some of the details and over some things in a bit more detail. I studied a psychology about 10 years ago, and during my studies, you learned everything about the brain, you learn about clinical application of therapies, you hear Freud in the beginning, but then never hear about him again. But what you didn't hear about is psychedelics. And through my personal experiences at the end of my studies, but mostly after it, I became more and more interested in seeing like how could they be applied and how could they be a tool in our tool belt to improve mental health and maybe even to help people thrive. A lot of people that are in the psychedelic space have a personal experience of overcoming trauma of dealing with anxiety or overcoming an addiction. And I, I don't have that big story of psychedelics changing my life from one moment to the next. But I think over 10 years, it has been a constant companion and a way to explore the world and to go from 
not per se a narrow-minded student, but someone who just studied psychology and was on track to become a psychologist or work in an organization and see how people work. That's like my way how I came into it. I want to know why people work and how they do it. To have a broader life and to explore different areas and to guess even be be more fulfilled. Then going into psychedelics about four years ago, I wanted to also know like what is the science. I had didn't get any information on it during my studies, so I started looking around. And what you can do, what you still can do, is go on Google Scholar and look specifically at an article. But that's very detailed, and you need a lot of background knowledge. Or you can go to a news website and you really get sort of the high-level overview. So I, I couldn't find a place that brought everything together in the way that I would find useful and I think is useful for others. So that's why I started creating that. So with Blossom, my goal is to get the information on psychedelics out there by being maybe on one hand a cheerleader, but a sober cheerleader. So someone who wants to see this field develop but also doesn't shy away from from the difficulties and from the huge number of questions that we still have. So that's what I want to provide with Blossom to both researchers who maybe can't even keep up with the two, three, four articles being published every day, to the people who are interested in the research, who are maybe already working, say, with ketamine, for instance, but also lay people who are just interested in the research and want to apply it to their own life. It's my vision or my prediction that in about 10 years we'll have relatively widespread availability of psychedelic assisted therapies where for ketamine is the, the example that we we have now already but that will t- still take quite a while and i think that it will be available for people as a second maybe third line treatment whilst at the same time millions of people are using psychedelics already so to help acutely and also for me to maybe stay more grounded than just sitting behind a computer like we're doing right now, to make a human connection and to be able to, to help others with the experience that I have, of both knowing a lot about the research, but also having a background in psychology. So that's together with my girlfriend, or actually now fiance, I started flow coaching. Congratulations on the you know transition from one role to the other there. That's awesome. Yeah, that one, uh, happened a month ago, and it's still um, weird to say, but uh, it's good to say. And so yeah. I, I started flow coaching, and now we're, we're doing it together. And she has a lot of experience as a therapist, and now we, we help people with non-clinical indications, so people who maybe deal with a little bit of anxiety or want to know like what's what's the career path I want to take, the life path I want to take, and also guide sessions here with legal psilocybin-containing truffles, but really try and focus on how do we provide a container around it too. So it, make sure there is enough preparation so that people come in with a good coaching question, but also the integration, which at least in my opinion is somewhat lacking in the retreats and maybe some of the other guidance. Uh, and I think that's a really important part of how you actually then apply that back into your life. So I think that's that's most mostly covering what I do in psychedelics. And I think we'll get to sort of your who are you really part two. But what I also value is, I guess, with psychedelics and around it to improve the world for, for the rest of the people living here. 
if if you're making a, a normal salary in the Netherlands in the US, then you're in the top three percent of the world in income. And I think that there's a way for us to spread good things that we have here. That's what I try to do through the effective altruism movement. So I've organized a local community for nine years. And I also donate 10% of my income to, at the moment, to Strong Minds, which is helping women do peer coaching based on CBT and to help others with depression. So that's something that's really scalable, something that's now available. So it kind of also balances my work in psychedelics, which is maybe a bit more long-term and a bit more focused on people who have it off relatively well with people who where there is currently no one available for their treatment for depression. So that's why I also try and support that uh, next to the direct work I do. Yeah, that's a lot of work that you're doing. That's a lot of good work, and I'm glad you're the one doing it. Is it okay if I rewind things just a little bit mm-hmm. and ask, where are you doing all of this good work in the world? I don't think we mentioned that in the bio, and I want to make sure everybody knows. Yeah, so I'm based in the Netherlands, currently in a small village, uh, hour north of Amsterdam. I made the transition from Rotterdam and the second largest city to to here, uh, also to be more in nature and to really have that sort of forever home where we uh, can be as a as a family with now with two dogs, with chickens on the way. Yes. <laughs> um, so and with nice. we have. I don't know, maybe 20 kilos of tomatoes already um, since we moved here a few months ago. Cucumbers. Yeah. So you're a farmer too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like someone it. said yesterday, like it's turning into a homestead and it's not per se too much like that, but kind of like it. Nice, nice. I grew up working on farms, so mm-hmm. I appreciate the connection to nature for sure. Can we rewind too? I'd be curious if you're willing to discuss a bit about what drew you into psychology as a field of study in the first place and then the niche of psychedelics even further that, that bit sounds like a super interesting journey if you're willing to share yeah so my, my studies actually started with business administration i did that for the first two years and already within business i wanted to know what is driving people and how do they work together I was reading Daniel Kahneman, I was reading Daniel Ariely, which now maybe some of that work isn't really replicating, but I wanted to know what, what drives people. And I think that maybe hasn't really changed, but I saw that within business administration, I couldn't really fulfill that role and really work on that. So I transitioned to, to psychology to look at that part in my studies there, but actually I, I enjoyed studying and it came easy to me, but what I even enjoyed more is doing things next to studying, organizing the study association, going on exchange, went to to Canada, to Calgary, really sort of being entrepreneurial without sort of having that label at that time. So that sort of thing, what drove me more at at that time and then I think that also is what happened with with psychedelics. It's something that came on my personal path, something that I got benefit from and and enjoyed as as someone on the receiving end. And then I think it it was also just a chance encounter that a friend of mine, he he is a teacher at the University of Amsterdam, and part of the things he teaches about is psychedelics. He's one of the friends I do psychedelics with, and we got to talking about like what what is happening there, what 
is there a role that that I can play? I, I have a, a startup, a skill up that's been running for nine years. I haven't even mentioned it yet, but that's just been humming along. So much work. <laughs> You're a worker. Yeah, but I can say that that is really in the background and that's not something I have to spend much time on. But having that enabled me to really dive into psychedelics and see like what is something that I can contribute without immediately having to think back on like making a, a solid salary, which of course can be more difficult in a new industry like psychedelics. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you letting me double click down on your story there just a little bit and what, what drove you into it in the first place. That's, that's super interesting stuff. Yeah. And you're, you grew up in the Netherlands the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Just moved from the East to the West now to the North. Nice. And a little bit of time in good old Canada and then, uh, and then headed home. A little bit of globe trotting there too, right? Expanding out, blooming, so to speak, blossoming, mm-hmm. so to speak. That's beautiful. So your story is about kind of memory and where you're coming from, and then I like to ask about what are your intentions and where you're headed. So, you know, what do you what do you imagine going forward? Hmm. Yeah. So, so really, my goal is to to play a part in the demystification and maybe destigmatization of psychedelics. I think maybe everyone's listening that can agree that putting them in schedule one isn't isn't a place for psychedelics and not having them available as therapeutics is something that that we want to see change and I think that's what I want to contribute to. And I think that's also what will have the largest impact if people can get access to psychedelic assisted therapies at scale. Yeah, that that's something that a lot of well, a lot of people are are stuck with the current treatments, and in the current treatments, they don't work for say about a third of people. And I think that's a shame. While we have these tools available, and we do need to do more research and get even more solid evidence for the efficacy of psychedelics and see where they really can apply. But I think I, I I'm not saying too many crazy things to do believe in the possibility and in the validity of them being tools that can help people get out of bad situations. So that's why I want to provide information for that space to develop, for people to be able to look at all the research papers on depression and a treatment with psilocybin, for them to look up who's the author on an article to know what sort of research that has been done on MDMA. I've been quite organized my whole life, and now I'm sort of transitioning that to, to an online platform to, to have that information out there for, for all the different stakeholders, from researchers to people making policy. So I think that's sort of the, what's driving me behind it. Strategic navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. As I understand it, gaining access to psychedelic medicines happens one of three ways, either through the medicalization process where you see a prescriber or enroll in a clinical trial, the legalization process wherein it's still well-regulated and clear where you can get 
these medicines and who can and can't provide them. And then there's the decriminalization approach, which is more like you own your farm there and you can grow whatever you want in the dirt on your farm. Would you say that's an accurate way of kind of summarizing those three routes? And where do you see yourself focusing your efforts in in that regard? Yeah, I think that's an accurate way of putting it. And I would say most of my my work with Blossom is focused on the medical route, on seeing how can it be applied in that way. But I, I am a person who would say that the other routes are also viable and take definitely ways that we can explore. I think there, I try and think of what would my, my mother do who, who totally isn't into psychedelics and she, she's mentally fine, but if, say if she wasn't, then... The medical route, I think, is the place that she could be best helped with. So I think there, that's also yeah, the place to, to focus a lot of attention on. And I guess there is a bit of the trickle down in the far, like, does that really work or not? But you already see in terms of the efforts made around decriminalization that a lot of the research is being cited, which hopefully is able to strengthen the, the argument for psychedelics being safe and being something that's, that's positive versus negative. So I think the different routes are there. And I guess there's also maybe short-term versus long-term. So in the long-term, the medical access and maybe later like full legalization are things that, that have the biggest impact, but providing coaching for people doing things in the underground at the moment, I think that's already helping people and that's already having a, a positive impact on the world. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. That's a really good summary. Thanks for that. The way that I like to bridge the past and the future, asking you about your story and then about your intentions is around just gratefulness. So what are you grateful for? Within the field, it's all the people that have gone before us that have laid the groundwork for all of this even to be possible. Sort of coming from from a European perspective, and I, I was at Psychedelic Science, and seeing the spectacle that is there, it's... I think you, we shouldn't idolize the people leading the field and they are also still people with their flaws, but they are the ones that have been at this for 30, 40, 50 years that have made it possible for us to be here now talking about this and implementing and learning from their mistakes so that we can provide help to others in the, in the next generation. So Yes, I'm, I'm grateful for everyone that's been doing the work before us. I guess on a more personal level, it's being grateful for having the possibility to have these experiences, to have such a rich life where there's space for, for psychedelics, but maybe just more broadly for reflection, for calm, for enjoyment. One thing that's, that's relatively common within the effective altruism community is that Everyone wants to do good and then they sometimes lose themselves in, I have to fix the whole world. I think it's, it's a great question that you're asking, like, what, what are you grateful for? Because I think we can step back and take a moment and like, wonder how awesome everything already is, at least in our own lives. I think that's, that's a great thing to do. And I have a, like a, a mini theory, not on like why psychedelic experiences can I like are beneficial there's a lot of the neuroplasticity and the processing of trauma but maybe it's also just eight hours doing nothing it's just 
yeah. be sort of be here now. I like of course, nothing. a cliche too, but <laughs> I think that that has value too. Yeah, nothing is good. I like nothing a lot. Eight hours of nothing sounds really good to me sometimes, for sure. I mm. like that. You mentioned people who came before us. Is there anybody in that arena that you think maybe had exerted the most influence on you or left the greatest impression on you? Somebody in particular that you're grateful for that preceded us in this psychedelic research space? Yeah, I think it's very like stereotypical to say Rick Dublin, but I think he's been sort of a driving force at the moment when no one else was there. But I think a lot of people know know his story. So I'll change my answer to Rick Strassman. Oh, who, okay. A spirit molecule. Yeah. So like his research was about only research going on in say ninety ninety two, ninety-five, maybe slightly later. And he really pushed through like being able to do those studies, which then led the groundwork again for say Roland Griffiths and the studies they were they were doing. So it's sort of only sort of flicker of light during the darkness of inhuman studies. And of course, the first like scientific mapping out of the DMT state with interesting results that came out of it. Yeah. How much are you paying attention to the current research in like DMTX where they're trying to map the DMT space, whatever that means, figuring out what's going on with people? Because DMT has such a short mechanism of action in the brain it's hard to kind of integrate those experiences but they're figuring out based on rick strassman's work how to extend that make an extended release version or an, a longer infusion version of dmt to try to figure out what is happening in the dmt space are you paying attention to any of that i'd be super curious to know what you think yeah it's fascinating right of people being able in, in that, that super different state for, for longer than we, we currently have, where you're sort of in and out in 10, 20 minutes. I think it's, it's fascinating on how this can also be, be used therapeutically, but also if people can be there longer, they can say what the state is like and see if there is a thing there or is it just our brain decomposing in a different state and that's it. I've read Andrew Gallimore's books, who of course also thinks sort of it's a... Yeah, Reality Switch Technologies is an outstanding book. I love that book. So I think it's super interesting. It's, it's early days. They've done studies, I would say, with about 30, maybe 50 people who've had the, the extended experiences. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to see. I, I don't know what exactly will come out of it how useful it will be one thing i I can say that alexander biner if i'm saying that correctly he wrote a book called the bigger picture that's out for a few months he's one of the co-organizers of breaking convention and he was one of the participants in the studies and i think he really describes well like how the experience was and what he, he he took from it so that might be a good place to get sort of a more personal description but one thing I, I also took from his book, which may be less positive, I've still yet to write a review for it, is that he then equates all the different, and then this is my interpretation, all his different, all the different problems in the world with psychedelics being able to solve them. Whilst maybe someone doing a lot of yoga can say the same about yoga, or someone doing CBT can say the same about CBT. So... I think we should still be really conscious that psychedelics aren't a panacea. 
and that something like the extended DMT state is not per se something that will solve all our world problems. But who knows, someone will come back with uh, the answer to everything and they'll say, like, 42, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to the question of the universe and everything, right, is 42. I love that. That series is hilarious. It's such a classic. Glad you made that reference for me. Hey, uh, I agree completely with everything that you're saying there. I don't, I don't have any experiences in the DMT space myself. I'm still a member of the Department of Defense. So my personal experiences with the substances have been limited to what's legal and available with respect to like ketamine assisted therapy. But I want to ask you a question. I'm curious. I was talking to someone who's a friend the other day that said that a lot of people in their first DMT experience see Ganesha the hindu elephant headed god is that the case like what what's going on with like meeting the same hindu god or goddess all across all of these experiences all over the world but still with the same molecule what do you think's going on behind that i guess like explaining that like the first thing i would think of is that we have like common concepts between everyone in the world so we have sort of in a way, the same structure or the same stories. You see the same stories in coming, popping up in different religions, them borrowing from each other and things merging there, same themes coming up. A lot of people come out of a psychedelic trip saying it's all love, which in a way it's true. So I think that that might be sort of a really quick description of like why people see the same thing. I wouldn't know per se why Ganesh, but maybe just to take from my own experience, like I didn't have that and I didn't have any... There were no aliens, no lizards, no whatever other prototypical things. People yeah, yeah, all the entities and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's maybe partly also because I'm come from a like really down to earth Dutch culture where also the setting where we we do psychedelics is sort of our own tradition, but that isn't a tradition where that's common. If you're doing ayahuasca in Peru, then if you don't see a jaguar, then like you, you haven't been listening to everything that's been happening around you. And maybe to, to, to sort of loop back to psychology, at the start of psychology, you hear about Freud and then never again. But Freud had skulls, had penis statues he collected from abroad in his office where he was treating people. And then they say, I saw a penis from my dad, from young... <laughs> it can make more sense if you see a picture of how his, his therapist room looked like, right? So I think we're yeah, yeah. all receptive to the conditions around us. And I, I'm not saying that explains everything, but I am saying that that is a plausible explanation. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar mm. and a penis is just a penis, right, Freud? <laughs> and Ganesha is just Ganesha, mm. wherever, whatever that might be mean right mm -hmm. man i appreciate that answer immensely thank you for that got me a little bit off track from our five questions but that's totally okay uh, we were talking about gratefulness and then we were talking about the dmt space and now we'll come back around to question number four which is what are you creating yeah so talked about the things a bit already so i'll go into a bit more detail like for for blossom i want that to be the place people go for insights on psychedelic research, but then also on how to implement this. 
So part of the work I'm doing for, for Blossom is, is helping advise on like how do we go from the research to the implementation. So if I'm thinking like, oh, what I'm creating in the future, that's that's what I want to do more of so that we can see how the transition is is being made. Yeah, and I guess guess with flow coaching it is helping people discover their their own potential and seeing like how can they get the most out of life and make that fulfilling and like know where they are on their journey. But do ask me more specific question about creating because otherwise I'll afraid I'll repeat myself to to what we talked about. <laughs> yeah, well tell me more I guess less let let's talk less professionally and more personally if you're willing like you mentioned that you've moved to your forever home there you're engaged got dogs and some chickens on the way like what are you creating for yourself in your instead of the dmt space in the florist space yeah i would say a a balanced life maybe it's the best way to put it my girlfriend often my fiance often asks me like what is your your mental state how do you feel and she's expecting happy, angry, frustrated, which all of course happen. But I think my default state, which I like is like contentment. I'm trying to create, or I'm already living a contented, if that's a word, life, where I both at the moment work, work quite a lot and enjoy work, doing what I do in terms of work, but also I have a lot of freedom too. I think that's maybe part also for me of contentness is being able to read a book in the morning and then do work, have have a dinner together, then then do something else or work in the the shed, make something happen there. So I guess just creating my sort of own space part of the universe where I can live a comfortable life while sort of shooting out lasers. I don't know if they're lasers, but shooting out maybe love then to the rest of the world where people <laughs> use it, hopefully can use the things I'm, I'm producing. Yeah. Shooting some love lasers out there from the Dutch to the rest of us. I like that a lot. <laughs> so that'll bring us all the way to our fifth and final question, which is who are you really Flores? Yeah. How to answer that question, right? I guess a seeker of knowledge and understanding. Like I want to know how things work and what's behind things. Otherwise I wouldn't have been creating that huge database of research. And yeah, I'm just trying to to learn and both share at the same time. Because I think also sharing what you're learning is maybe one of the best ways to learn. And I mean, yeah, maybe optimist is also a good word to describe myself. Because I think that there's a lot of good to be done in the world and there's more, we have more potential to do this than I think we generally accept. I think our ideas of like how much good we can do are stuck in maybe 50 years in the past. And I think that's, like we, we have more power or agency to, to affect the world than ever before. And I think most people will do that for good. So and I I'm positive about the future. Yeah, I'd like to hear that level of optimism about the future. That's a beautiful thing. I think we're on the same page, on the same wavelength there. I appreciate that answer greatly. Is it okay if I ask you a bonus question? Yeah, of I'm, course. I'm super curious about something. So you're there in the Netherlands, and I know a little bit about some of the history of Dutch theology and philosophy, not so much 
psychology. I wonder if you're acquainted at all with some of the Dutch theologians like Abraham Kuyper's work or that have had some influence in American Christian theology in the 20th century. I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot. You can just tell me to buzz off, but I'm curious to know what you think about Kuyper's influence and whether there's some ways that that might play a role in the future of global you know, psychedelic experiences and understandings. Yeah, sorry, I have to disappoint here that I wouldn't know much about it. Like Kuiper's, I'm immediately thinking of an astronaut that went to the International Space Station. Had the same last name. <laughs> it's, a, it's a common name, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, very common that's sort name. of the Kuiper's I know from this day. <laughs> no, sort of the only one I, I know way too little about him is the the guy that I have up here. That's Erasmus. So the university I went to is named after the sea. Yeah, yeah. If I'm saying that correctly, Erasmus. So no, I don't know much about that that influence there now. Oh, well, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot no there then. I was just super curious. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I think one thing I try and say a lot to people who are sort of new to the space or are like earlier in their careers to really try and do things and test it out. I but this is also my experience versus the average person is that we go through the path that has been like laid there and we like stick to the expectation and it is a challenge to go over it and to sort of make your unique unique path but hopefully you would also agree is that there's a lot of reward on the other side of it maybe even in the struggle like having to figure it out gives you a lot and also then there you're not alone like there are other people out there that have done it before you that you can connect with there's still place for community even if you're you're making your own path and yeah, i think that's a a valuable way of living so that you don't have to feel like you have to do something for others but you can do it for yourself yeah i think that's beautiful you know there's the if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. Mm-hmm. I like to go fast and I like to go far. So it's definitely a struggle for me, but I appreciate you reinforcing how important it is to to go together mm-hmm. and uh, to include as many people as possible on the journey is a beautiful thing. Thank you for saying all of that. That's going to be a wrap on the podcast. Doc out. Doc out.